Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. It's all right. I think it's it's funny whenever it's, like, cleverly done, but sometimes whenever they go, like, too far, like Turbo Kid, it just comes off as, yeah, everything's fine. We get it. We get that the 80s were fucking stupid. You know what else is fucking stupid? Today. Today is also fucking stupid. It's just fucking yeah. stupid in different ways. I like Turbo Kid. Yeah, Turbo Kid's well, fine. We are not doing Turbo Kid in February. We've okay. been decided. It's all, it's all on the list now. Oh, no. <sighs> Did Doug plan a whole month? Is that what I'm hearing? I didn't plan a month. Apparently, there's something called Fanuary that we do. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Re- I don't recall that being a thing. I believe we did it once. We did it once, but Jeff we- remembered and sent an email in, and therefore now we're doing it again. Oh God! All right. So we have. Where'd you get? Wait, if he only sent two movies, and you're curating an entire month, who sent in the rest of the suggestions? Other listeners. When? Over the course of time. <laughs> I, uh, I, f- I feel like these are just, a, it's just a month of Doug movies disguised as a fan nope. month. Nope, it this not. list has names in front of the it li- who chose it. The list specifically and identified the, the listener that picked at least one of the movies for the week. And one of them is a Quaid Brothers double feature. Yep. Which is very interesting. All right. But that doesn't count as my pick. I still get to pick movies for next week because next week will be our last January episode. So, so you're picking essentially five weeks worth of movies, is what you're no, saying? No, no, no. The listeners are picking four weeks worth of movies, <laughs> and I am picking one. I. All right. Something, something about this feels not right to me. I this this reeks of a conspiracy. <laughs> Looking at the me? list, though, the movies aren't terrible, so I'm. No. I mean, I guess we bit, do get both Quades, so there's an even distribution of Quade. Yeah, that's not till week four. So, no. although the weeks were sl- <laughs> we're not necessarily, it's more ensuring that yeah. we get to. I saw a uh, a meme that was like, you know, showed Jack or um, Dennis Quaid's son Jack, who's on the boys and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, I have a weird feeling that, like, Jack Quaid should be named Dennis Quaid, and Dennis Quaid should be Jack Quaid, just on how they look. And then at the end it said, but Randy Quaid has been named appropriately. I strangely agree with that meme. (laughs) Poor fucking... I don't... I just... I would love to know what horrible parasite destroyed Randy Quaid's brain. Oh my god. Yeah. 
That did, I don't. I don't either. He was so fucking funny, and then just now he's just a crazy person. Well, yeah, like something is obviously wrong with him, and he's that level of rich where when there's something wrong with you, they don't fix it. They just call it eccentric, and you're allowed to just be crazy. Well, but he like isn't rich anymore, if I understand it correctly. Well, yeah, they let it go too far. <laughs> it's not bringing I mean, is in, he um, still Christmas on vacation checks no more? I mean, is he still like in hiding? Because for a while they were like hiding, yeah. right? Yeah, they were. Uh, so I think he's going to be in a movie coming up. Like, you know, not a very high budget movie, but a movie. Really? Somebody hired Randy Quaid. Let me look at his IMDb. See if I'm correct about that. Yeah, I don't know what film production, because I think that's what I thought. I saw it and I'm like, what film production would insure him to be in a movie? Oh, they'll, they'll put anybody in a movie. It's in a movie called The Christmas Letter. It's so weird. When you, I was just going to his IMDb page, and when you realize like he's in some movie, like we're like shocked that the Christmas letter would hire him. But his picture from Independence Day is what shows up when you go to IMDb. And you're like, it feels like, you know. So it's a Christmas letter. It's got Chevy Chase, Rainy Quaid, Brian Doyle Murray. Jesus what? Christ. And a bunch of other people I've never heard of. When is this supposed to come out? Because it's not on IMDb. Uh, I don't know. It says in production, so. I feel, this is how I feel, and I can't back this up with any facts. Just I feel like maybe they made a Christmas movie and they will be watching scenes from Christmas Vacation in that movie. <laughs> and they will have to, no choice but to credit the people who were in Christmas Vacation. So. Um, every year, unemployed copywriter Joe Michaels reads his wealthy friend's annual over-the-top Christmas letter and feels like a loser. But this year's going to be different. That's all it says. Yeah. Yeah. That, that movie's never getting made. It's, again, if it's not on IMDb by now, it's not really in production. So. It's on IMDb, though. You can click on it and go to it. But not if, you a- go to, if you go to Randy Quaid's uh, IMDb and then click on his actor stuff, and click on the Christmas letter, it goes uh, to a page. I'm on it, and it's not showing up here. So I don't know how that can possibly be, but the last thing showing up here is something called wait from 2018. Did you click the uh, upcoming tab above it? There's an upcoming tab. Why did they fuck with IMDb by the way? (laughs) I don't know. I don't see. I I can see how to check if the movies are on Tubi, but I can't find it to see if there's upcoming. So I don't know. Mm. Anyways. It's just a conspiracy to make Doug upset. No, because they changed it. I, I I don't mind when they change things. I just I feel like if you're gonna change things, maybe change it for the better. <sighs> yeah, his IMDb goes from balls out Gary the tennis coach from 2009, <laughs> uh, all you can eat from 2018, and then this the Christmas letter that's supposedly in production. Yeah. So. The Christmas, like you sent me the screenshot of your IMDb and it looks different than my IMDb, which is annoying. Mm. But I see that Canadian IMDb. I guess. I will casually point out, though, that um, Balls Out, Gary the Tennis Coach. Yeah. Um, Randy Quaid plays Coach Lou Tuttle, so he's not even the titular tennis coach. He's like a backup tennis coach, apparently, which is not a good sign. It looks like uh, Sean William Scott is Gary the Tennis Coach. Oh, I see. 
rival tennis coaches. Interesting. It's interesting how two people in the same industry can become rivals when they're fighting over a spot, right? Oh, I'm handing you that one. What do you speak of, Doug? <laughs> I was just nothing. I was just thought that was an interesting fact to bring up, and I wasn't at all trying to transition into the movies. Speaking of this week's movies, <laughs> did you wait? Did you just wait for him to say this week's movies to use this week's movies as a segue? <laughs> yeah. No, my <laughs> that feels that feels dirty. Like this is wrong. <laughs> It's like a cheap whore. It doesn't count. <laughs> so Noah picked uh, two, um, well, I mean, sort of kids show host movies. Um, oh. Technically, Pee Wee's not a kid show host because his kid show didn't come out till a year after the movie. But could he be portraying a kid show host for the purposes of that movie? Do we know? I don't know. I think Pee Wee's just supposed to be an eccentric character. I mean, his career is not discussed thoroughly in the film. No. So, uh, Noah, do you want to tell us about Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Sure. Uh, Pee Wee Herman, uh, obvious single child and douchebag, uh, <laughs> lives in his really fucking wacky and uh, awesome house with his dog Speck, uh, and he's uh-huh. got a sick ass bicycle. And some douchebag steals that sick-ass bicycle, and he goes on a big adventure to get his bicycle back. And along the way, he learn- he meets crazy characters, like a dude who's on the run from the law for removing mattress tag labels, uh, and Large Marge, the ghost of a trucker. <laughs> God. Large Marge! Terrified ch- children of our generation. And he does that dance in a bar. You know the one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would say everybody knows what you're talking about. But weirdly, we found out Pee Wee didn't quite make it up to Canada. Doug was very uh, unawares. Like, he was aware, but he was not fully into the pop culture madness that was Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, people- lots of people here watched Pee Wee Herman. The, the show was available. The movies were released here. Oh, you just hate fun. That's what it was. Mm. I hated fun at a younger age. <laughs> you were born 55. I get De- definitely the 10 year old version of me looked down on the kids that <laughs> enjoyed Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> There's absolute truth to that. Um, so my dad took me to see this when I was five. Absolutely loved it. Large Marge scared the living shit out of me. Um, as an adult, I watched it with a friend of mine. And we kind of put together that maybe the people in our generation that have a fear of clowns, it may have come from this movie. There's a weird dream sequence with clowns doing surgery on a bike that is kind of terrifying. Yeah, that is fucked up. It's still hard for me to accept that the fear of clowns in our generation doesn't come from it, but I'll allow it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a combo. I think you can give 50-50 credit to both. Fucking Tim Curry. Um, so I guess the obvious question is, Doug, how did you feel about this movie? I I feel that I probably should have watched this, you know, when I was much younger. <laughs> I I don't know. 
it felt like I was at a party and it, it seems like everybody's having a good time and I'm glad you're having a good time, but it's just not my party. You're not supposed to watch Pee Wee Herman for the first time when you're 45. <laughs> Although, uh, did you watch the stage show? No. God, I sent you a link, Doug. I know you did. You should have. Like, here's the thing. Pee-wee isn't just Pee-wee. There's, like, all these different levels of Pee-wee that I think you have to, like, get into what Pee-wee was to know what Pee-wee is, man. And weirdly, I would say there's there's a de-evolution of Pee-wee, which is really more of a, I don't know, I don't know if you call it an evolution, maybe, but... Because the whole idea is it being a mock kids show, but very adult jokes and kind of lurid uh, scenes. Um, in the stage show, it's set up like a kid show. And then him and his friend are playing and some girl comes over and they quickly go pull out shoe mirrors out of their toy box so they can look up her skirt. Mm-hmm. Like, let's look up her skirt so we can see her underwear. And then they do it. And then they're like, oh, she's not wearing any underwear. And they all get like bummed out and pissed off. But then I feel like for the movie, it was tamed down a little bit. A lot. Like there's there's still stuff in there, but it's definitely not as like that in your face about it. And then a year after this, they full on turned it into an actual children's show. Well, I feel like this is a kid's movie by 80s standards. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that was the 80s, right? Like, there was a RoboCop cartoon. Of course you're going to make a show about peeping Tom's sure. and do a kid's movie. Why wouldn't you? Um, but there also wasn't, like, escaped convicts on the on the children's show that he was friends with and uh, trying to come up with ways for him to escape jail. You know, he wasn't committing other felonies on the show. Okay. Um, so I feel like it got toned back even more. Like well, yeah, game I mean, children's show. If this is a if this is a movie, and then you're going to do a TV show. Back then, TV shows were always a lot tamer, right? Yeah, for sure. So it's just interesting how it starts out like parroting a children's show with adult content, lessons when it becomes a movie, and then full on turns and sort of into what it was parroting originally, but still bringing its own quirkiness, which made it its own like special. Thing or whatever yeah yeah i mean it was, it's always been unique I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that yeah and it is it is sort of interesting like what you're saying is interesting on like an intellectual level yeah. but not enough for me to go back and watch the more adult version of this or the more child-friendly version of this isn't there a shot in the stage show where he's like smoking opium with like captain carl or something it, it gets real fucking weird um how did you feel about this being a tim burton movie um well okay so one interesting point here is that i have often said that batman 89 is heavily inspired by batman 66 Mm -hmm. and considering they lifted stuff straight from batman 66 and put it into this movie (laughs) <laughs> i'm like well i think there's my proof right um i think i, I feel a little bit like you know, even burton has, even though burton has never come out and said that i'm right i think now i know the for fact that i am um which is interesting 
it definitely has that Tim Burton surrealistic style to it. Mm-hmm. That style that was basically perfected with Beetlejuice. Um, yeah. That he's kind of still working towards it here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it very much has a Tim Burton feel without sort of the goth uh, paint job over top of it. Right. Like it's it's Tim Burton with less creative control. It's him being yeah. Tim Burton, but obviously being constrained and not being allowed to go as far as he wanted to. Right. Yeah. Cause you get that like one flash with like large Marge of like, okay, there's Tim Burton. That's what he wants to be doing is when, when her face goes all monstery. Yeah. Or, like that's what Tim Burton wants to be doing. And as close as he can get is, you know, this other ridiculous shit, but I, uh, yeah, it's it's again intellectually watching this and and going okay. So this is this is what Tim Burton had to do in order to get the creative control to go and do Beetlejuice, which then got him the commercial success to go and do Batman, which he then went back and used the same inspiration for Batman as he used in this. So it's interesting. Yeah, from what I heard, if I'm remembering correctly, I could be wrong. I believe it was Paul Rubens that like handpicked him to direct this movie. Yeah. Um, cause he had made a couple short films. Uh, he had done like, um, the, like a live action version of Frank and weenie, which they then turned yeah. into an animated movie a couple years ago. And I think he did one called Vincent's that was sort of about a young kid that was obsessed with Vincent price or something. something I think like that's that. the one yeah. that sort of impressed Paul Rubens. It was like, yeah, we need to have this guy direct the movie or, it is if you go back and I haven't watched the Vincent one, but I've watched the original Frank and Weenie and it's like, yeah, you can see the talent shining through there and you can tell that he's a guy with a vision, like an artist. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you can understand even if like at this point in time, I've, I've been sick of Tim Burton movies for a long time. I, I can definitely appreciate the fact that he is doing his thing and doing what he wants to do and not trying to make the most commercial movie and things like that. Yeah. Uh, Noah, did you enjoy this on a rewatch? It's it's Peely. <laughs> I knew better, but I figured you should just say it out loud. I mean, I, there's a lot of things about this movie that I feel are great. I think Francis is an unappreciated villain. <laughs> like, he's just great. Because you had to make somebody who was actually more insufferable than Peely himself. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. great. Um, did you spot, uh, Elvira, Doug? No. Uh, Cassandra Peterson. She's the, uh, the woman at the biker bar. Oh, is she? When they're all going to beat him up or whatever. And then he yeah, does yeah. the dance and everybody loves him. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah, no. I remember this character. I just don't think I realized it was her while I was yeah. watching it. Yeah, that was later I did, in the it's, movie and, you know, I wasn't really yeah. into it, so. It's the most unrealistic thing in the entire movie. Why? That Cassandra Peterson is like, let me have him. And the guy doesn't go, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, that's a lot of fun. D Snyder makes a cameo appearance as himself. Godzilla makes a cameo appearance. Godzilla does. The the bully from Monster Squad is in it. Oh yeah, Jason Harvey. Francis, we should point out, is the guy from Leprechaun. Yeah. Jason Harvey's on, um. I think he's on the the making of, or was he on like uh, one of those documentaries about the Wonder Years? 
movies or something. No, he he was on the Wonder Years, but he was on some documentary like within the past like ten years talking about this movie, and he recites his entire scene. Like he's like, I still have it memorized. That's fun. So it was just kind of funny. It's just like, oh man. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I like I said, I absolutely love this movie. I saw it when I was five. So this that was like the perfect yeah age for me where I was like, what the fuck is this? And then, you know, a year later, it was like a Saturday morning cartoon or Saturday morning kid show. Like, oh, like I was prime, prime time for it. Well, yeah, and Pee Wee's Playhouse was just so fucking great. Yeah. It was like everything you wanted in a kid show. Mm-hmm. It's, see, it's not what I wanted in a kid show. <laughs> Sorry, we all weren't watching Masterpiece Theater, Doug. Yeah, I was, no, but I would watch the Rambo cartoon. I would watch that kind of thing. G.I. Joe. I wanted some killing in my cartoons. I felt like Pee Wee's Playhouse wasn't going to provide me with that. Mm. I've never seen an episode, so if people do get killed a lot by like that talking chair or whatever, let me know and I'll see. <laughs> uh, no, but... The King of Cartoons comes on every once in a while, and they show a quick cartoon. Right. And he's played by the same actor that played Blackula. Oh, that's fun. And then uh, Lawrence Fishburne plays Cowboy Curtis. Yeah, fuck yeah, Cowboy Curtis. Seems like there was somebody else that was on the show a lot. I don't remember. I mean, there was a bunch what of people. You- I mean, Phil Hartman was on the original stage show. Well, he yeah, he has a writing credit on the movie. Do you have any scenes that you enjoyed, Doug? Even um, if you weren't into it as a whole? Hmm. <laughs> you gotta think that hard about it, I guess not. Just fucking uh, nothing, Doug. No, like really no, it did again, it's not like it wasn't like I thought it was bad. It's like I I'm like, okay, it's like it's well made, but it's just not well made for me. It's well made for other people to enjoy. Um trying to think of scenes that like I laughed at there must have been one again like I got happy when actors I knew showed up mm. but that's not really anything um, alright we're just going to sit here until you think of something Doug so you better hurry <laughs> I'm trying to think of something <laughs> and I can't I didn't even enjoy the, the touching moments he had with what's her face the waitress that wanted to go to France no <laughs> um I did. I, I. Let's talk about your big butt. I, I get that might, might be the joke that I got. I liked the best. That's when he's like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, it, it was like it was one of those ones where like as he's saying it, I'm like, so obviously the boyfriend can overhear this and get upset now and try to kill Pee Wee. I'm like, okay, that we know that's what's happening, and then it happens, and you're like, all right, predictable joke, but well executed. Uh, I believe those are the same dinosaur statues from uh, the wizard. Fred Savage. Are they? That we've covered on this show. I was wondering that actually. I, I, I meant to Google that and totally forgot. Hmm. But they they look the same. I didn't know if they were. They're just lit up differently. And uh, when Paul Rubens died recently, they wherever that is, they went out and painted the uh, T Rex so it looked like he had a peewee suit on. <laughs> that's that's nice. <laughs> I was actually just listening, so I was listening to like back podcasts that you know I've had backed up for a real long time, yeah. and one of them was an episode of Judge John Hodgman. I don't know if you guys listen to that podcast at all. No, but I know what it is. Yeah. So 
apparently Jesse Thorne, the producer of that show, uh, was like friends with him. They worked together on a podcast project or something. And one of the episodes was the episode the day that he died. And they had a whole thing about it. And I was like, oh, now now I have to be sad about that all over again. (laughs) Right. I was randomly scrolling through Facebook. And I saw one of those like things where people talk about random shit um, where somebody was like telling a story about like coolest celebrity you ever met or something. And this guy posted a story about how he was working at like Walgreens or something. And um, he was in the middle of like a 12 hour shift or something. He'd been there for like 10 hours or something. Um, And his boss wouldn't let him take a smoke break because they were the only two there or something. And he was just like, it was rough, essentially. He said Paul Rubens walked in, and he's like, he just looked at me and I was like, "Ooh, rough day, huh?" And he's like, "Yeah, boss won't let me take a smoke break." He's like, "Oh, that sucks." And then you know, I went to look at stuff or whatever. Then he said his boss came over to yell at him about something, and Paul Rubens heard it, and he's like, he kind of ran over and he's like, "Um, hello, excuse me. Uh, yes, I've been having problems with my back lately, so I was wondering if your employee here could." help me carry my stuff out to the car. The guy was, he's like, you'll cover for him. Right. And so he purchased one snicker bar and then had the guy carried out to his car for him. And when they were out there, he, uh, he bummed a cigarette off of him and him and Wee just sat there smoking. And then he said, when his boss came out to see where we went, he, if Paul Rubens was just like, Oh uh, yeah, he's still, he's still helping me load stuff into my car. He'll be, he'll be done in a minute. And he wouldn't let him go inside until he finished his cigarette. I'm just like, that's fantastic. What are you going to do? Like, get mad at Paul Rubens for helping the employee? Right? Like, you just have to be like, look, Pee Wee made me smoke a cigarette w- with him. I wasn't going to say no. Calm down. Um, Let's see. Some of my favorite parts is uh, um, him going through the Hollywood backlot, as we've sort of discussed already. Yeah. It's... um. It was fun to watch this movie and see that, oh, that's where Kevin Smith got the idea. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> Kevin Smith kind of stole parts of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back from this movie, which is interesting. I, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what if you just ran into a bunch of random different movies? Because it was funny when, when Pee-wee's being chased around the lot and they do the thing where they pull the like fake street out and I'm like, yeah, Kevin Smith did that. And then I'm like, I bet you he's riding that bike real fast. I bet you he hits something and flies through the air. <laughs> Here he goes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty obvious when you compare the two. Yeah. I, I don't think it's unintentional. I think it's like, like it's not, I don't know parody is the right word, but like the idea oh of like Pee Wee flew through the air and then so do Jay and Silent Bob, but Jay and Silent Bob naturally crash, right? Of course. It is. That's how that would work. But yeah, that, that whole scene is like, it's very heavily influenced that I'm just like, Oh, okay. That was, there you go. That's my favorite thing about the movie was being like, Oh, I see. Uh, I do like that Francis plays actual battleship, like in his pool. Yes. (laughs) The Francis stuff might've been the best stuff of the movie for me, I guess. Yeah. Like that fight scene where Pee Wee sneaks into his house and then, jumps him in his bathtub, his like giant bathtub that he has <laughs> and they're fighting. When Francis comes out, he goes sliding across the floor. <laughs> like that might've been the best, the highlight of the movie for me. Uh, what'd you think about the movie at the end that they made about his big adventure? 
<laughs> it's yeah, I don't know. It, again, I, part of this is I shouldn't be watching it at 45 years old in 2020. It just felt like, oh, that's a very predictable way to go about doing it. Oh, but come on. James Brolin in a peewee suit fighting ninjas? What's not to like? Yeah, I don't know. Again, if I if you have an affinity for the character, I can see why that's very enjoyable, but that doesn't apply to me. Mm. I'm not saying any of it was done poorly or I don't understand why people yeah. like peewee would enjoy it. It's just you have to have seen peewee as, as a kid, I think, to think that that's great. Yeah, I'm just sad that you can't take enjoyment in Pee-wee. It's just, yeah, it, just, it wasn't for me when I was the age where it should have been for me. And now I just can't get into it. Um, I don't know how Noah feels, but I feel like this movie was kind of the lightning in a bottle with the Pee-wee movies. Um, yeah, because it like works. Like Big Top Pee-wee just doesn't quite do yeah, it. Yeah, that, that one. I don't even know if I've seen the whole thing. I've seen like pieces of it and there's never been something where I'm just like, Oh, I need to watch this whole thing. Like everything I've watched. I'm like, Oh, this doesn't work. Does that have all the standard people back for it though? Or is it just, no, it's Pee Wee now lives on a farm and a circus blows into town literally because of a storm. He now has a car, a circus, uh, on his farm. Well, I mean, that sounds fun to me, like as a concept. But, yeah. you know, like when you lose Phil Hartman, he's no longer a writer. I'm just looking now, like, I don't know who Randall Kleiser is, but again, this movie, I, this movie is well made. This is the one we're talking about today. And yeah. you take Tim Burton out of it. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, I don't know what's left. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a fair assessment because if you, like, I didn't watch Pee Wee's Big Holiday. Um, it's on Netflix. Uh, but, I mean, I think Paul Rubin specifically said there's no continuity between uh, all three of the movies on purpose. So, the guy that directed Big Top Pee Wee directed Grease and the Blue Lagoon. Mm-hmm. And Flight of the Navigator. So, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, he knows what he's doing, but it's just, yeah, for some reason, it just did not work. For but I just, yeah, I don't know that Top any Pee-wee. of those movies have they have a completely different aesthetic from this one, right? So obviously, mm-hmm. why would you, why would you think he could make this type of movie? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, like I said, I haven't seen the whole thing from what I've seen. I feel like it's a much more serious movie, which is weird to say about a Pee Wee Herman movie, but I feel like, um, diving into the more like surreal nature of stuff is the way to go as we see in this movie. Yeah. Like, I think you would, I wouldn't have tried to make another one of these without bringing, uh, Tim Burton back on board because I think it's important to have that aesthetic. Yeah. If you, if you don't have it, then I don't know. It's, I don't know how to say it. Like, it, even though I'm not like the biggest fan of the aesthetic, I respect what he's doing, and I think it's consistent throughout the film, and it creates this world that's just absurdist enough that Pee Wee fits in in it, mm-hmm. despite the fact that most of the humans are playing relatively normal human characters. So I, I think if you were to anyone else can't do what Tim Burton does only Tim Burton can. Right. So you can't have somebody else come in. Um, what was it? 1991. That's when he got arrested for jerking off in a porn theater, which again, I wasn't there. I don't know all the details, but it seems like of all the things to get arrested for, just leave the guy alone. I mean, and of all the things you could be doing in a porn theater, isn't that like one of the things? 
Yeah. I mean, it's like it's a porn theater. Like, what, what I don't know. do I've, we expect? I, I, yeah, I've never been in a porn theater because I don't even know if those exist anymore. But I just, I feel like if I went into one, there'd be guys jerking off in there. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's so weird, the idea that you get arrested for that. And it's like, it, it almost feels like like a weird, like... Like we, remember when we had the long conversation about like cracking down on gay bars in the eighties, and that's why that one yeah. siege movie got made. It's like it feels like that. It's like why are you just they're in there doing their thing? It, you can think it's gross if you want, but they're not hurting anybody. Leave them alone. You know. Yeah. Yeah. He was because he had they had filmed so much of that uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like they just shot it back to back. I think. And so the show was already done filming by the time all this stuff happened, which is why he had longer hair and, you know, a beard and stuff at that point. And, um, probably just trying to like be able to go out and do things without being noticed. Oh, totally. And, uh, I think he got, yeah, there was some undercover cop or something in there, which again, it's just a weird, like, Hey, why don't you go hang out in the porn theater? So you can catch people jerking off. I'd be like, no. That's not what I want to do as a police officer. It's, it's I, I don't know. It's just like, is that the best use of resources? Like, Right. Like, what was it? Like 10 years ago or something, Fred Willard got caught jerking off at a porn theater. And everybody was just like, well, he's Fred Willard and it's a porn theater. I mean, like, sure. Yeah. Like, you want him jerking and off? I think the bigger... Sub- let, him go, let him go in there. <laughs> the, the, I think the more bigger question was, there's still porn theaters you can go to? Did anybody tell Fred Willard you can just watch porn online now? Yeah, I feel like the kind of people who want to go to the theater to do it, or they they want to go to the theater to do it. You know, like it's, sure, it's part of the experience for them. I don't know. Yeah, I just remember being very like even at the time because I was like eleven or twelve, and I was just like, "Why is this a big deal?" I don't think I understood it at the time. Yeah. Um, I think he had the best comeback though when he because uh, he got busted. And of course, the t- the TV show got canceled, um, and everything. And he didn't he didn't show up anywhere for like six months or something. And I think uh, someone was like, "What you need to do is you need to pop up again and just kind of brush it off, and then everybody will just let it go." And so I think he showed up on the MTV Movie Awards as Pee Wee, and then he came out. And then the first thing he said was, heard any good jokes lately? And then the entire audience, you know, fucking lost it and gave him like a standing ovation and stuff. And then after that, he just sort of retired as Pee Wee for like decades. Yeah. I wonder if. Did a bunch of other fun stuff. I wonder if the, that was helpful to him in in a certain way where would Pee Wee have been one of those things that got really annoying, but because it was only around for a short period. People oh. remember it very fondly, and he was able to then go back and make a couple other movies later on and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure that nostalgia was probably there. I remember seeing an interview with him. It was after um, Mystery Men came out. He was kind of getting some notoriety just as himself outside of the Pee Wee persona. Yeah. And he said, like, I was never, like, angry about the character. I just wanted to not be Pee Wee for a while. And definitely at that time, specifically a character that huge and so like entrenched in pop culture, it was impossible for that person to like do anything else. So I'm sure like that, um, 
even that scandal was probably a blessing in disguise where it's like, oh, I got to stop being peewee. I could do other stuff for a while. And then I could come back to it. And the people who, you know, were kids when I was doing it are now grown up and they are, they understand it wasn't like a big deal. Like a lot of news outlets try to make it out to be. So yeah, I'm sure it was fantastic for him to be able to put that in the closet for a while, go do a bunch of other shit. Um, I think he, uh, I don't even remember what who the director was for the original Buffy movie. Cause I think they were one of the first people to hire him to do something outside of Pee Wee yeah. after the whole thing. And he said he was always grateful for that because he got to be, you know, completely different than what he's used to. Yeah. Cause that was like 92. So very shortly yeah. after. Yeah. But I even remember when that came out, people being like, I can't believe Pee Wee Herman is in something else. Like it was like a big deal. <laughs> and I remember like watching it going like, he's clearly not playing Pee Wee Herman. Like you guys know what actors are, right? Like it's, yeah. <laughs> so he obviously had a good time he showed up as that character again on uh, what we do in the shadows yeah. for like one episode which is great um, yeah i don't know if you haven't watched Wee's big adventure in a while go give it another watch it's, um, I, I bet you if you fantastic. if you liked it when you were a kid you'll probably enjoy going back to it is my theory yeah because i think it it is a little bit more adult despite the kid like aesthetic to it mm-hmm. so i think that it might be fun to go back and like watch it as a, as a grown-up if you haven't but i don't know if i could possibly recommend it to anyone who didn't watch it as a kid no um all right well doug do you want to tell us about death to smoochie death to smoochie is uh a dark comedy about uh, robin williams plays a famous kids show host uh who is Man, there's a lot of plot to this movie. So he is, is. <laughs> he's convicted of like embezzlement for accepting bribes so that rich kids can get to be like on his show in like the in like the you know how like kids shows always have a group of kids that are hanging out with the host. Um so that which which is this a real problem? Is this something that that somebody would be like, "Well, we need to we need to stop this. I feel like it's done as a joke, but there's just enough dialogue to imply that other things were going on in the background as well. And so there was yeah. like much like this was kind of like the the minimal um, crime. And then there was also like skimming corporate profits and money that was supposed to go to charity, ending up in people's pockets and stuff like that going on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that was well enough explained, but I think that's it's supposed to be implied. Agreed. But anyways, all that corruption makes him look bad, so he loses his time slot, and they go and they find uh, this guy that plays Smoochie, and he's like this dinosaur character that performs at kids' shows and hospitals and shit, and he's like a real like pure like children's entertainer who just wants to spread good messages to them and stuff. So they're like, we'll give you this guy the spot, because like, no matter how much people look into him, he's like a good person, and they won't be able to like smear him so we have this the i guess the driving plot of the movie is robin williams character is constantly trying to sabotage the new guy which is ed norton in a giant purple rhino costume um there's also an irish mob character where he's like a semi-handicapped retired boxer turned restaurateur that really wants to be on the show. So the Irish mob is strong arming Smoochie to let the guy be on the show. Um, the Italian mob, I think 
is well, who they're supposed to be is involved in making money off of ice shows. And so they are uh, like posing as a charity to do that. And they are getting very upset because Smoochie doesn't want to run the ice show. And it all kind of culminates with the, them deciding they're going to, so they go to kill Smoochie, but they accidentally kill the semi-handicapped retired boxer turned restaurateur. I hope you're all following this. I am. <laughs> which leads to which leads to those guys stepping it up and uh, a little fight ensues right at the end when some third guy who's also a retired children's host is, is <laughs> stepping in and he's going to take Smoochie out. But uh, the death of the boxer guy amongst some other things causes Robin Williams to have a change of heart and and join Smoochie in the final battle of the children's talk show hosts, which is happening during an ice capades like event. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's the movie. It's fucking weird. <laughs> it's fucking weird, right? Like it's hard to explain this movie about a guy who's like seeking revenge on the guy that took over his TV time slot by trying to convince everyone that the giant, like Barney stand in is actually a Nazi. And when that doesn't work, he like decides to have him killed by like a third, like children's talk show host. who's like even more down on his luck. It's all very strange. Uh, first time watch for me. Me too. Completely missed it. When it originally hit theaters. Uh, you seen this before? No. Uh, yeah. I had also missed it in theaters and just randomly on a whim. I rented it one time it was like oh this movie's fucking awesome how did I, like god damn it uh i will agree i thought this movie was great um i didn't know what i expected it to be but it definitely wasn't sort of this <laughs> this weird surreal like hard knocks gritty world of ch- children's television show hosts yeah. If, if it was just Rob Williams and Edward Norton, yeah. I'd be like, okay. But then you bring in like a third guy who's like, I was a kid's host and I got hooked on fucking heroin. It's like, what the fuck is going on? It's, yeah. I mean, like you said, you this isn't what you expected. Well, if this is what you expected, seek help because you shouldn't be expecting this. <laughs> this, is, this is a very unique film and I respect the hell out of that. Um, just, I've, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this where it's yeah. it's dark and gritty, but absurdist at the same time. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I, I, it was, it's very different from anything else. Like the closest comparable to it is because of the dark comedy would be something like the cable guy, but this is yeah. even grittier than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause some of the stuff I was reading, apparently Jim Carrey was originally supposed to play the rainbow Randall role. Oh, that'd be interesting. And he dropped out to go do the Majestic instead. What's What's funny about that is, you know, we talk a lot of times about how much different a movie would be if you slotted a different actor into it. And in this particular case, if you slotted Jim Carrey in, I think it changes this movie not a bit because him and Robin Williams are kind of well, yeah, they're similar. They're both. They're both. It would depend on the choices Jim Carrey made because he certainly, when he decides something. He's doing it, right? Um, but if he decided to play the character like this, it would be exactly the same. See, and I'm seeing him do more of a cable guy sort of performance. Maybe. Again, um, what, what would he choose to do? 
no way to tell. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, uh, as a replacement, I feel like Robin Williams is like perfect for this role. I agree. Because you can 100% imagine him being a children's television show host. Um, he 100% has the chops for the dark turn that the character takes. And then he 100% can do the, the stuff where he just completely just loses his mind. Yeah. No, it all like works perfectly in a movie where the cast is like him and then Ed Norton and Catherine Keener and John Stewart and Danny DeVito. Like it's an all-star cast and Robin Williams just stands out head and shoulders above everybody else. Every moment he's on screen, this movie is better than every moment when he's not. (laughs) He is just his performance. Like he's sometimes he's so calm and delightful. And at one point he's tap dancing, but then also he loses his mind and just freaks out. There's a scene where he falls down the stairs and then he's all beaten up the rest of the movie. (laughs) And I love it. And there's like, there's a scene where he's like, he's staying with one of the like, little people that is like formerly from his show that has moved over to Ed Norton's show. And he's like, he's like, you got to let me stay with you. I've got nothing now that I've lost everything to this, to this. Cause he was living in like a corporate apartment and stuff. And he's like, and then he, he gets mad and he beats the shit out of this guy's TV. And the whole time is funny. Cause he's just yelling ridiculous insults. Um, and then this, you get this. I don't even, there's no nice way to say this. So like the midget comes home. And starts yelling at him and like throws him out of the apartment and he's like begging him to let him stay. And it's like you could just you could probably just knock him over. Like it is a it is a midget. Like it's it's <laughs> he's just he's pushing him out the door and kicks his coat and throws it at him. He's like, I got nowhere to go. It's so funny. Uh how just completely wholesome Edward Norton's character is. Oh my god. He is, is great. But then he has that weird moment where he starts getting super angry and there's like, oh, I'm just like, oh, what is this? What kind of backstory is this like digging up? Well, there's foreshadowing. Yeah. And we never really get like, like that super dark turn that we're maybe expecting. No, there's dialogue in it that all of his, all of his wholesomeness and all of his, this whole kids talk show host life that he's built for himself all stems from going to anger management classes. And I I do think there's, it's a missed opportunity in this movie because we just talked about uh, primal fear. Not that long ago. We know Ed Norton can change character on screen like that. There's a missed opportunity for them to kind of like gradually let that character out a little bit and then have him snap at some moment and then go back to being the calm character. I think there could be some real comedy there. But, yeah, because he almost gets to that place, and then the Irish mob people are like, no, don't do it. Don't ruin yourself over this. Yeah. Which maybe has a good, I don't know, story to it, maybe. Yeah, but, but I just, wanted, just, I just think, wanted to see him lose it. So. <laughs> yeah, right? I just think the visual of him just finally losing it. Oh, and just something to do. because it's Ed Norton, too, you could imagine him, like, acting really tough and angry and mean, and, like, you're genuinely scared of him, but also he's in that rhino suit. <laughs> <laughs> and i want that how fucking how fucking great is that rhino suit it's perfect it's really good it is it's really good it is just like i don't know how to say it like you could imagine your kids forcing you to watch a show where that's how the people dressed but also it's clearly meant to be laughed at at the same time 
Oh, sure. I mean, but it's that purple. Like it's, it's completely modeled after Barney enough that like, even though it's not a dinosaur and you know, he has his head sticking out, which is different than how they perform that character. It's enough for you to go, Oh, I, I know this. Yeah. And so you can buy into like everything that's happening. But the costume itself is, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Well, the moment when Robin Williams is bashing the TV, he refers to him as like a third-rate Barney or a knockoff Teletubby, and you're like, yes, he's all those yeah. things. Like, he's... Yep. <laughs> uh, really enjoyed Catherine Keener. Always, yeah. Sh- sh- yeah, always. That's usually a given. Um, having worked in television... Um, Obviously, it's not to this extreme, but there's definitely stuff that I see in this that I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, people just not giving a shit about, uh, like, you know, how he's all like, no, it has to be about the message. And people are like, no, we need to sell toys. Yeah. Like, I definitely see that stuff all the time. And then, uh, weirdly, like at the job I have now, which is at a PBS station, there are people who are complete like, oh, this is, you know. 100% PBS. I love PBS. This is the, you know, the company mission or whatever, you know, about, you know, making stuff that educates and improves and all this. And I'm just sitting over here like, look, I get paid every week. I give a shit about <laughs> fucking station mission. Uh, but, you know, some of that's built into Edward Norton's character. But, I, you know, like I said, I sort of have to deal with on a daily basis. Um. Well, but yeah. and they, they walk that line perfectly in this movie too, though, where like every time he's like, look, we represent wholesomeness. So if we're going to sell like a kid cereal, it shouldn't be sugary because it should be something that's good for them. And you're like, he's a hundred percent right. There's no denying that he is the good guy in this conversation. Also, if I was at that board table and he said that I would be like, shut the fuck up. Uh, like you're so annoying <laughs> and you know that deep down we're a big corporation that's just here to make money like just fucking stop you know what i mean it's like it's yeah. it's that fine line of like like even when you're right you can still be annoying about it <laughs> so he's, he's perfect in it like how about we do the sugary cereal and then you could do some psas about how good it is to eat vegetables how about that yeah trade it off it is funny that because this movie's from 2002, they're like, like he wants soy dogs instead of hot dogs, and he wants gluten free buns and all that, and that's like a joke yeah. in 2002. And now you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I go to the local gas station and go to the little roller thing, there's probably soy dogs on it, like inside the hot dogs. <laughs> um, <laughs> do we feel the boxer character could be done today? We could yeah. the way they did it. <laughs> I I think maybe you would need to do it less if that makes sense. I feel like it would be harder to get away with the cheesy Irish and Italian accents than it would be to get away with that character. <laughs> Apparently Henry Rollins auditioned for that role. Oh my god. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, see, that would have been great too. There was one of the random Irish guys uh, has the best line in the entire movie and that's that after he's killed they say oh we're going to find him or cut his balls off and shove him up his ass and Ed Norton's character goes 
oh, oh no, I don't think you should do that. You should just let the police handle it. And that Irish guy goes, no, they won't do the balls and the ass stuff. <laughs> it's, against it's against procedure. <laughs> procedure. Yeah. I do like the look Ed Norton gives into the, like sort of into the camera. Every time somebody suggests something like that, like there's the moment when he's with Danny DeVito, who's like his agent and DeVito's like, look, if you, if you negotiate right, you get the power, you get yourself in, into the executive producer position, then you can do whatever you want. You could put a dildo on your forehead and go, oh, it's the show, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. And he's just like, well, I, I haven't had that idea specifically, but I think I understand what you're saying. <laughs> uh, uh, and do you like Rob Williams' first attempt to sabotage the show by making dick cookies? <laughs> And hiding them in the show bag that moment man so like ed norton pulls the dick cookie out on tv and all the kids are around and he's like it's look what it is kids it's and it's clearly a dick and he's like <laughs> a rocket ship yay and they're all like playing along and you can see it like they shows like the behind the scenes and everybody's like ah like you know what i mean like thank god yeah he figured out how to avoid catastrophe that robin williams just comes running out it's not a rocket ship it's a cock (laughs) it's a cock it's a penis it's a wang and he's just like yelling all these different things and there's all these kids there and they all start laughing (laughs) oh just yeah really well executed moment probably the best moment in the entire film to be honest Um, yeah, do you like when they have the boxer on? Is the uh, his his cousin Moochie, Moochie the white rhinoceros, and uh, he he's just like in the middle of the show. He's just like, "Hey, Smoochie, this this costume makes my nuts itch." <laughs> <laughs> then just immediately cut to a song just to get away from it. Yeah, yeah, pretty good moments. <laughs> uh, um, oh. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about was not on my bingo card for this movie, but uh, tricking Smoochie into uh, performing at a Nazi rally. Oh my God. Was not what I expected to see. <laughs> the the rhino's that, a Nazi. The thing about that scene is like he's on the stage and he's doing his little song, and you're sort of like, okay, he's obviously like being tricked into performing somewhere inappropriate, but you can't, as an audience, we don't know where. And then the lights come up and there's all those Nazis and that big flag unravels behind him. And it looks like something out of a World War II movie with the big swastika like hanging from that giant flag (laughs) while he's giving the speech. But the idea that you A, pulled this off and then B, the whole world just believes that this beloved children's character is performing in costume at a Nazi rally. (laughs) Like, and everybody just goes with it. And he's like, no, no, I was tricked. And everyone's like, no, we think you're just really a Nazi who dresses up as a rhino and goes to the rallies. Well, then the fucked up thing is, so he gets his name cleared after uh, Rainbow Randall uh, admits it to Catherine Keener's character. And so he gets his name cleared. Everybody's holding like, we're sorry, Smoochie. And he gets his show back and all this stuff. But then later when they're doing the ice capade show and they completely do that scene in the ice capade show. So yet another giant banner of a swastika drops from the ceiling (laughs) and children carrying or yeah, children carrying swastika flags are chasing him across the ice. And I'm like, what the fuck? Little people dressed in rhinette costumes 
dressed as Nazis, <laughs> chasing him in a circle. <laughs> Just like, what is happening? I know it's sort of like the whole thing is playing out the life of Smoochie so far, but it's just like, really? Like, this is in the children's ice capade show that you're putting together? Good lord. It's so funny. What about at the end when, okay, so then, like, um, it's all the big happy ending. And so the Catherine Keener character and now the Ed Norton character are now together. And Robin Williams has, like, teamed up with him and he's going to be a good guy again and they do this whole giant like ice capades number with the three of them and they're like flying through the air and stuff you're like who the fuck on the production team okayed the hundreds of thousands of dollars it would have cost to make this final scene (laughs) with these people flying through the air for no goddamn reason that's relevant to anything just how they gotta gotta run the credits over. Just, just watching that happen and knowing in my head how much studio money went into that moment, so that these people could just have their fun, made me happy. Yeah, I understand, Doug. This was shot pre nine eleven. People were just throwing money around for no reason whatsoever. There's one seat in the movie where you can see uh, one of the towers in the background. Well, thank, thanks for bringing up nine eleven in the middle of our fun conversation. Yeah. I really. Oh, our fun conversation about how this rhinoceros went and played a fucking Nazi rally? By mistake. <laughs> it was an accident. Uh, good old. Oh, and good old John Stewart. I'm always happy to see John Stewart popping up and stuff. He's doing that funny accent in this, too. I've never seen him do an accent before, and I enjoyed it. Buggy, I thought you cleaned up. Yeah, I cleaned up all the poppies in Asia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that guy, too. I don't even know his name, but turtle-looking guy from a billion 80s movies. Mm -hmm. He's always great when he showed up. He passed away not too long after this movie, though. Again, quit trying to bring down our conversation. (laughs) Again, about the movie where Rhino plays at a Nazi rally. Again, by accident. Um, well, else have any other fun parts? Did you guys think the Robin Williams character was a bit unrealistic? Because here you've got this guy, right? He's on top of the world, as, as successful as you could possibly be, right? And he starts committing these like seemingly small crimes just because he like needs a little bit more. And then as soon as he faces like any kind of consequences, he just starts whining and crying like he's the victim and immediately just starts attacking the guy who took over his time slot. Like, what did that guy even do to you? Nothing really, right? And he keeps trying to make that guy out like he's the bad guy. And that guy's just doing his job. He's pretty unremarkable. He probably wouldn't be that interesting if you didn't keep drawing attention to him. And you're like, why would you behave like that way? That's insane. And also, why is it a parallel for how the world works now? That was frustrating to me. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, like, he's playing Trump. He's not doing it on purpose because it's 20 years early, but he's doing it. I mean, that's fair. It's just, it was weird. It stuck out to me. I don't know. Hey, Jonesy, my favorite parts. tell him the one about the dude who gets his fucking head chopped off with an axe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, they kill Muji. Yeah. And then uh, they redo it in the Ice Capade show. And then it becomes about this rhino going to heaven and stuff. And I'm just like, 
this thing is for children. There was just Nazis on the ice, and now we're talking about a rhinoceros dying and going to heaven. Yeah. Um, that's all correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's such, it's such a weird yeah. movie. It is interesting just how it plays, like the cutthroat business of being a children's host. Yeah. The whole funny scene when when you find out that Catherine Keener's character has been dating all these different children's hosts over the course of her life. <laughs> just a kid's host groupie. Such a funny idea. You slept with Buggy Ding Dong? <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. What other great parts are there? There are other really funny moments, though. Um... I did enjoy uh, <laughs> the uh, the boxer Muchi, whatever, running around just banging a bell at that restaurant, a cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> the lady's like, "You got to find something else to do. I just can't. I can't deal with this yeah. this cowbell anymore." That's how he became Muchi. I did. I also enjoyed when they killed Muchi, and then the like mobsters have to go back to their mob boss. And he's like, you killed the wrong the wrong rhino. And they're like, how the fuck were we supposed to know? You said go <laughs> kill the rhino. We killed the rhino. And he's like, one of them is fuchsia and one of them is is magenta or whatever, like because of the different colors. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah, what's, what's, yeah, what's that should, guy's name? Harvey Firestein. I was right? going to say, yeah, we should talk about Harvey Firestein in this movie because he's pretty fantastic. Yeah, he <laughs> And it seems perfect in a world of children's show hosts that like a guy who's very well known for doing Broadway shows is like sort of one of the main villains of the show. Yeah, it was running this children's charity scam or whatever. I want the ice shows. I want it all. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's that moment where the Danny Video cares like they're the worst of all the charities when it comes to like shaking people down for profits. I mean, isn't the Parade of Hope a real charity? Do you think they were real fucking pissed off about this movie? Wait, are they really a real charity? <laughs> I, I, I swear to God they are. It never occurred to me that they would be. Now I want them to be. Uh, I loved it. That, yeah, I know they they were. Not that I could see. They show up on Villains Wiki is the first response, so I'm assuming that's a right. reference to this. Uh, all, yeah, I just see it in response to... There is something called the Parade of Hope in somewhere in New Jersey, it looks like. But I think it's not a major thing. Yeah. Anyways. But I'm sure it's a stand-in for a billion other yeah. children's Probably, charities. I mean, they picked that because it sounds enough like a real charity that you'd believe it. Yeah. How how great is that? I know this is a cheap joke, but after the Nazi rally thing, uh, Robin Williams does that whole dance number through the city streets yeah. oh, celebrating his victory over the, the so rhino. Oh, my just... God. And then it ends... With he just fucking wily coyotes into a brick wall. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. Oh, great. <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't know. Anything else about uh, Death to Smoochie? I don't know. Every I, second of this movie is great. I, I know this is an underwatched one, and people should really yeah. see it. Very much so. I, I will say, like as much as I enjoyed it, it it is a bit long, 
And I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like an hour fifty. Yeah, I think. Like, and in the middle, it did. It does like all the individual scenes are good. I don't have any like scenes that I had problems with, but it started to feel like the plot was dragging in the middle. Like nothing that was happening was really advancing the story. So I think it could have been streamlined a bit. I don't know exactly what you would cut in order to do that, but that's that's why I'm not an editor. I just sit here and complain about things. <laughs> but yeah, it, it it probably this movie would be much more, more widely well received if it were an hour 30 instead of an hour 50. Yeah. But. I believe I read Roger Ebert called it the worst movie of 20, 2002. Really? Which I don't think is correct because I had a pretty good time with it. I, I'm sure there's something worse. I personally think that Roger Ebert and uh, Roper were fucking idiots. Eh, they were right about a lot of stuff. They were wrong from time to time. I mean, they also, um, I, if I remember correctly, was it, I think it was Roger Ebert who basically said that Night of the Living Dead was one of the worst movies ever made. That doesn't seem right. Um, yeah, I also read somewhere in an interview, Danny DeVito talked about, uh, like, an interview from, like, last year or something, that um, this is definitely one of those movies that sort of bombed at the box office, but people have sort of found on home video. Yeah. Um, and he thinks like, you know, as time goes on, it'll get an even bigger following. I do find it interesting when I looked it up to see if there was like, um, like a special edition, like physical release or something. There's like nothing. Um, just kind of a, just a regular, I don't even think it's on Blu-ray. I think it's only on DVD maybe. Um, it seems like a movie that would be perfect for like, um, you know, 20, 22 years later, like sort of retrospective on it. I'd be interested to hear Danny DeVito and Edward Norton and all that uh, sort of talk about this movie. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because I can definitely understand why this movie wouldn't appeal to a mainstream audience, but you'd think it would have that kind of cult classic type status by now. And I think it probably yeah. does have a fan base. It's just maybe not as vocal because like, you know, mm-hmm. the people who are vocal don't watch dark comedies. Thanks for calling the midnight drive in. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. All right, before we get into what else we watched, we actually have a couple pieces of feedback. Strange. Um, Andy, who only replies to stuff on the Geek Nerdery website, which hardly ever gets checked. Um, I thought it was set up to automatically notify us when it... It was. It, it, this was sent uh, on the 17th. Okay, so... So like a week ago. Yeah, yeah we're, we're checking things on time. Yeah. Um... <laughs> It said, uh, Brian, since you ended the episode on the stuck in compliance episode, since you ended the episode with discussion on how many 80s movies could never be considered acceptable today, I had to bring up a 1971 movie I caught with dec- caught up with decades later that makes you that makes your example seem like the most acceptable movies ever. I'm talking about Pretty Maids all in a row. I had picked up a copy quite a while back, but just got around to watching it recently. I was curious as it was re- written by Gene Roddenberry of Star Trek fame. 
It stars uh, Rock Hudson, Angie Dickinson, Telly Savalas, featuring Roddy McDowell, James Doohan, Keenan Wynn, and was directed by Roger Vadim. Vadim? Vadim? I've never actually heard of the name out loud before. Eh, doesn't matter. Uh, but the basic plot outline is a male student is getting regular erections in school due to all the hot girls and extremely short miniskirts. <laughs> so coach slash guiding counselor Hudson convinces hot teacher Dickinson to have the student come to her home to get over this parentheses, which leads to her sleeping with the student. Meanwhile, Hudson is having affairs with a number of students and staff, but then murdering them because they are too in love with them. And that's a threat to his marriage. Advertises a dark comedy, but I was truly shocked by how amazingly inappropriate it is 53 years later. The opening line in the Wikipedia description for this movie is it's an American sexploitation film that is part black comedy, part sex comedy, and part murder mystery. (laughs) (laughs) This might have to go on the list. I'm sure it does. I've heard of this before. I just have not ever gotten around to watching it. So. If I had uh, if I'd read this comment before, it might be getting part of February. <laughs> uh, thanks, Andy. Yeah, no, that's a uh, that's a good suggestion. I appreciate that. I did not know this existed. Um, oh, this one's from Jeffrey, but it's about uh, it's about him bringing up Fanuary, yeah. which um, me and uh, Noah apparently keep forgetting is a thing i forgot it was a thing too until <laughs> did, did you all three of us did yeah i didn't it's i'm not gonna lie it took a while after i read that email to be like did we do a fanuary did does he listen to a different podcast <laughs> but um yeah, i'm pretty sure he's right i'm pretty sure we do we think we're getting gaslit do you think there is no fanuary and a couple listeners never, have just teamed up it was never a thing they've just teamed up to like drive us crazy i hope it's so secret. it's secretly, <laughs> there is there is no jeff it's just fucking doug <laughs> sending emails <laughs> occasionally throwing in a movie that he refuses to put on the list <laughs> to throw us off the scent it's a possibility um all right what does everybody else watch uh, I <laughs> you the... just, can we just hover on it's a possibility that Doug that Doug made up a person pretended that person listened to the podcast and then sent in feedback on the rehab yeah. we'll, leave, we'll leave it at it's a possibility nobody nobody check with Doug on that nope I'm just assuming it's true <sighs> yeah I was gonna say I haven't watched much been watching uh, the next season of Gilded Age which is basically Downton Abbey in America mm. that's alright Crabby. Uh I did finally watch uh John Wick three. Mm-hmm. Which is Parabellum. Got, is that right? It's got those dogs in it. Right. And uh well it it's weird because I've I've been meaning to watch the fourth one, but I was like, okay, I missed the third one. I suppose I have to, you know, make some attempt to catch back up. And finally it popped up on Netflix. It was good. It was way better than the fucking second one. Because that's kind of why I quit watching them. Because I, I think the second one's garbage. I don't remember the second one, but I don't remember hating it. So It's not so it's not terrible. It just doesn't... It 
like the thing that made John Wick so good was that it kind of had this like kinetic energy to the movie. Mm-hmm. And the second one just didn't fucking have that. I feel like the second one added more plot. And I was like, that's not what this is. Why are you doing that? Well, see, but the third one adds plot too, but it it's in such small doses and it's all done through the action scenes. Yeah. Which is way more tolerable. Also, the third one is insane because that it's basically one long fight scene with a couple breaks in it. Yeah. But yeah, so now I'm excited to watch uh, the last one. We can watch four. Don't say the last one because we're not 100% sure it's going to be the last one yet. Um, but then also the um, spinoff Ballerina comes out this year. Oh, yeah. Isn't there like a TV show that's a spinoff too? Uh, they did one called The Continental. It's three episodes, but each episode is like an hour and a half. Um, and it's, so it's, set, movies. it's set in the 70s um, about the uh, hotel. And I think it's, uh, I haven't watched it yet, but I think it's the younger version of Ian McShane's character. I don't remember his name. Uh, sort of how he came into power and got control of the hotel. All right. I've heard some people say it's good. I've heard other people say it's not great. Ian McShane literally just in the past week or so said it was just a cash grab because he wasn't really involved with it. So I don't know. I don't know. I just, watch, I just, I just like watching John Wick kill people. Agreed. I think that's why I like the first. I think the first one's still the best one. I just <laughs> like sort of the, the simple yeah. plot of it, which is kill his dog. Hitman gets mad, kills everybody. Like that's, that's good enough for me. The uh, I was going to say the third one did some of the... So one of the things I liked about the first one is there's like several moments of violence that you're like, oh yeah, okay, I, I get why that happened. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kind of the double tap kind of stuff where he takes somebody out and then makes sure they're dead. Yeah. And in this one, there's a couple of fight scenes where he does a random thing and you're like oh my god that's weirdly it's like fake but realistic in a weird way so he stabs a guy like with a kitchen knife in the head and only the tip goes through the guy's skull so he has to like pound on his hand to like get the knife to go all the way into the guy's head that's fun yeah i love seeing keanu in these movies i need to rewatch from the beginning maybe but yeah, that's it. That's all I got. What'd you watch, Doug? Uh, I also don't have much. Um, the only movie I watched was Society of the Snow, which is the third retelling of the story of the famous plane crash in the Andes where they had to resort to cannibalism. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, I mean, I don't need to go through the plot. It's the third retelling of a true story. But plane crashes... They have to eat people to stay alive. Eventually, they hike out and uh, get rescued. Um, it's, it's it's a good movie. It's well made. It's very intense. Um, they do a good job of like not sensationalizing the cannibalism, but also not downplaying it. If that makes sense, like it's yeah. it's made to feel like like you there are instead of just a big moment where they resort to cannibalism. There are scenes of people discussing whether it's acceptable or not. And there's, you know, people expressing different 
religious perspectives on cannibalism and things like that, which is interesting. Um, they do definitely do a good job of portraying certain scenes where like people try to leave the area and get caught up in like the snow and stuff and have trouble dealing with that. So that's something. Although it doesn't answer the question that I've had ever since I heard about the story for the first time, which is at the end of the day, people who had been lost in the mountains for like two months hiked out and I cannot figure out why they didn't hike out earlier. I don't understand. Like if, if 60 days into starving to death, you can hike out, then you'd think being that some of them were professional athletes that would have been able to just leave on the first day <laughs> and probably they wouldn't have had to eat people. Mm. But yeah, not that know. not that I'm criticizing them, just so we're clear. I'm sure that <laughs> I'm not. I, I understand. Oh, I'm sorry, we were starving and had to eat our friends. I, I, I understand hindsight is twenty twenty. I absolutely recognize that, but um, I don't know. It's just it's just a weird thing to me. I'm like, if if you could hike out, why don't you try that first? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's a good movie. It's the same story that you've heard before, um, so I don't think it's. It doesn't bring a lot, like, plot-wise new to the table. It does, like, highlight each person who dies and show you when they die. The plane crash is pretty spectacular. Um, like I said, the intensity of it is there. One thing it doesn't capture, and I have, I've never even heard anyone who was involved, like, because I know, like, some of them wrote books and stuff. I don't the boredom that must have just been killer up there. I'd love to know what that was like. I'd love to hear like just what the hell did you do all day when you're stuck on this mountain? And everyone had like like collecting water and cutting up dead bodies to do. But that doesn't take all day every day. So, yeah. but yeah, I, if if you're interested in that story, it's probably the best version, um, the best version of that story to watch. Like it's. Alive is a based on my memory is a very nineties movie with you know pretty people who refuse to dress differently than they did in their day to day life for the purposes of this movie and stuff like that. Um, so uh, two and a half hours long though, which is a lot for this story, but it didn't feel excessively long. Seems long. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's all I got. I don't know. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I watched a couple things. Uh, theater last week. Theater near me was showing a screening of Reservoir Dogs. Oh, so went and watched that on the big screen. Um, man, it's Reservoir Dogs, so it's always good. Uh, I told my friend afterwards he had he had seen it before. This was one of the few he had seen, but uh, I was just like, "Is there anybody cooler than mid nineteen nineties Michael Madsen?" I don't feel like there is. It's pretty cool. That little that little dance he does when he's cutting the guy's ear off and shit. Yeah. It's like he, it makes torture look so cool that you just want to torture somebody. <laughs> it's just the shot where the uh, Mr. White and Mr. Pink are yelling at each other and the camera just sort of pans back. And then, yeah, Mr. Blonde, Michael Madsen is standing there. He's got those sunglasses on. He's taking a drink. It's like, that dude is... Fucking cool as hell. Yeah. So, yeah. Great movie. You haven't revisited it in a while. It's good to watch. Um, and then Cindy and her daughter were over this weekend. And Cindy's like, I've been re-watching some movies with her. 
you know, she didn't watch, she hasn't seen before. And uh, one of them we were going to watch was Wayne's World. Oh. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, well, I got that. We can watch that tonight. So we went and got dinner, came home, put on Wayne's World. Um, as much as I was talking about how cool uh, Michael Madsen was in the 90s, I don't know if there's a more 90s movie than Wayne's World. Yeah. Especially early 90s. It was... I'm not saying that is a bad thing. Like, I loved every single minute because yeah. I haven't watched Wayne's World in forever. Uh, but there were multiple points where I'm just like, oh, shit, this this movie is nothing but 90s references. So I'd have to ask her daughter who's 15. Like, there's some point where I just turned to her. I'm like, do you even know what Grey Poupon is? And she's like, no. I was like, oh. It was it's fancy mustard. Calgon, ancient <laughs> Chinese secret, huh? That's Wayne's World too. <laughs> um, but there's like that. There's the uh, him getting pulled over by Robert Patrick for Terminator Two. There's just lots of stuff. She's just like giant question mark over her head. Like I don't know what this means. She said she enjoyed it anyway. But I'm just like, man, I bet you didn't understand like half this movie. Yeah, it would be I don't know, it would be hard to watch it if you didn't again, it, I feel like her reaction would be the same as like my reaction to Pee-wee. Yeah. Well, I even asked her before we started the movie, I'm like, have you ever seen like Wayne's World on SNL? And she's like, No. So I pulled up YouTube and showed her like one of the first ones. And so we watched it and then I went, Okay. So now they took that and turned it into an hour and a half movie. And then we watched the movie. So I was trying to like at least prepare her for, I don't know if this movie is going to make much sense if we just jump into it with no background on it whatsoever. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know. I had a good time with it. It was a lot of fun. Like I said, I haven't rewatched Wayne's World in, I don't know how long. Um, trying to decide if, if we need to show her Wayne's World too. Definitely not as near, nowhere near as good as the first one. Um, and then after that, because Cindy fell asleep, like as soon as Wayne's World was over, and her daughter loves animal attack movies. I and I had bought, daughter. yes, and I had bought her. I bought a movie specifically because I knew she would, she uh, could watch it. And it's this movie called Croc from 2022. Um, I think it was like three bucks or something. I'm like, oh, it's totally worth it for a killer alligator or killer crocodile movie. Excuse me. It would be funny if it was called Croc, but it was killer alligators instead of Crocs. I mean, if a movie's called Croc, I could see that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the movie opens and I'm just like, oh, I've made a horrible mistake. (laughs) It's from like Uncorked Entertainment, which releases the super, super duper, ultra low budget uh, garbage movies. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) the movie opens with, you know, a couple like camping and then what's that noise? And then, you know, they're out looking with their flashlight and then they both get eaten. But they both get eaten, you know, off screen because of terrible CGI crocodiles coming after them. Uh, not good. And then they had mentioned in dialogue, like, oh, did you know they have like a place that you can hold your wedding or something around here? 
<laughs> Which then, after they get eaten, cut to like you know a week later, and people are showing up because they're having they're having a wedding at this venue. But the guy who shows up, I'm just like I just looked at him like, oh shit! It's like they ordered Jason Momoa off Wish because this guy looks like he's like 50, but trying to look like Jason Momoa. He's got like the beard and the long hair and stuff. And I'm just like, oof, like that's a bad look for that dude. And um, of course. He has not been around much for his daughter because he's he uh, he's been like a wildlife uh, conservationist or something going around the world trying to save save animals. Um, and then when people start dying because of these this crocodile twist, there's more than one. Uh, of course, he has to go back on his promise not to hurt animals and try to kill off these crocodiles to save everybody. Uh, the movie is fucking terrible. I paid three dollars. We all do that. I paid three dollars to own it, and I it was a hor- worst decision of my life. I think. Um, yeah, it was not good. The good thing is, me and the daughter were. Uh, her name's Marissa, by the way. I should just use her actual name, probably. No. Uh, me and her were just laughing about it the entire time, like how fucking terrible it was. So at least I had a good time watching it. But man, not good. I think if Noah watched it, he would agree with me. That's how bad it is. That's 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 quite the insult to give it to something. <laughs> it's so bad, Noah would hate it. It's got to be a little bit of a source of pride for them if Noah hates a movie. <laughs> Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. All right, Doug, you're up for picking movies next week. What are we watching? We're watching. Um, I think we are gonna we're gonna go and watch uh, Salem's Lot and follow it up with a return to Salem's Lot, which I believe is a sequel. I hope it is. That's why they got put on the list again. Uh, sequel and just about name only. Okay. Well, but it's directed by Larry Cohen. So really, yeah, I did not know that. I'm going in relatively blind to these two. I've never. Uh, Oh, you've never seen the original Salem's Lot? No. Well, that's a Toby Hooper TV movie. Yes, it so. is. That I've been meaning to watch for like... Yeah. It's one of those ones that's been on my to watch list like since I was like, I should rent the VHS of that and watch it. <laughs> and I still haven't gotten around to it, so put it on the list. Yeah. Uh, yeah we'll get into it. I have some, uh, some problems with it, but there are other parts of it that are creepy as fuck. So, I, yep. I'm sure. I'm sure, like, given that it's like the 70s TV movie directed by Toby Hooper, it's going to have issues. But I'm also, I've heard good things about it, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, buddy. <laughs> I took a, took a second to breathe, and he decided we need to fill up this dead air. Poor buddy. Yeah, he went to the vet today. So. Yeah. <laughs> Is that, does that uh, count as our banter to finish up the show? Is, is that what it should be? Just the cat meowing at the microphone? Nah, it's better than what we usually come up with. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. 
Good night.